Section 5 of Journal of a Voyage to Lisbon by Henry Fielding. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James Carson. If it should be doubted whether we can bring this case within the letter of any capital law now subsisting, I am ashamed to own it cannot. For surely no crime better deserves such punishment, but the remedy may nevertheless be immediate. And if a law was made at the beginning of next session, to take place immediately, by which the starving thousands of poor was declared to be felony, without benefit of clergy, the fishmongers would be hanged before the end of the session. A second method of filling the mouths of the poor, if not with loaves, at least with fishes, is to desire the magistrates to carry into execution one at least out of near a hundred acts of parliament for preserving the small fry of the river of thames by which means as few fish would satisfy thousands as may now be devoured by a small number of individuals but while a fisherman can break through the strongest meshes of an act of parliament we may be assured he will learn so to contrive his own meshes that the smallest fry will not be able to swim through them other methods may we doubt not he suggested by those who shall attentively consider the evil here hinted at but we have dwelt too long on it already and shall conclude with observing that it is difficult to affirm whether the atrocity of the evil itself the facility of curing it or the shameful neglect of the cure be the more scandalous or more astonishing after having however gloriously regaled myself with this food i was washing it down with some good claret with my wife and her friend in the cabin when the captain's valet de chambre head cook house and ship steward footman in livery and out aunt secretary and foremast man all burst into the cabin at once being indeed all but one person and without saying by your leave began to pack half a hogshead of small beer in bottles the necessary consequence of which must have been either a total stop to conversation at that cheerful season when it is most agreeable or admitting that polyonymous officer aforesaid to the participation of it i desired him therefore to delay his purpose a little longer but he refused to grant my request nor was he prevailed on to quit the room until he was threatened with having one bottle to pack more than his number which then happened to stand empty within my reach with these menaces he retired at last but not without muttering some menaces on his side and which to our great terror he failed not to put into immediate execution our captain was gone to dinner this day with his swiss brother and though he was a very sober man was a little elevated with some champagne which as it cost the swiss little or nothing he dispensed at his table more liberally than our hospitable english nobleman put about those bottles which the ingenious peter taylor teaches a lead captain to avoid by distinguishing by the name of that generous liquor which all humble companions are taught to postpone to the flavour of methuen or honest port while our two captains were thus regaling themselves 
and celebrating their own heroic exploits with all the inspiration which the liquor at least of wit could afford them the polyonymous officer arrived and being saluted by the name of honest tom was ordered to sit down and take his glass before he delivered his message for every sailor is by turns his captain's mate over a can except only that captain bashaw who presides in a man-of-war and who upon earth has no other mate unless it be another of the same bashaws tom had no sooner swallowed his draught than he hastily began his narrative and faithfully related what had happened on board our ship we say faithfully though from what happened it may be suspected that tom chose to add perhaps only five or six immaterial circumstances as is always i believe the case and may possibly have been done by me in relating this very story though it happened not many hours ago no sooner was the captain informed of the interruption which had been given to his officer and indeed to his orders for he thought no time so convenient as that of his absence for causing any confusion in the cabin then he leaped with such haste from his chair that he had like to have broke his sword with which he always begirt himself when he walked out of his ship or sometimes when he walked about in it at the same time grasping eagerly that other implement called a cockade which modern soldiers wear on their helmets with the same view as the ancients did their crests to terrify the enemy he muttered something but so inarticulately that the word damn was only intelligible he then hastily took leave of the swiss captain who was too well bred to press his stay on such an occasion and leaped first from the ship to his boat and then from his boat to his own ship with as much fierceness in his looks as he had ever expressed on boarding his defenceless prey in the honourable calling of a privateer having regained the middle deck he paused a moment while tom and others loaded themselves with bottles and then descending into the cabin exclaimed with a thundering voice damn me why aren't the bottles stowed in according to my orders i answered him very mildly that i had prevented his man from doing it as it was at an inconvenient time to me and as in his absence at least i esteemed the cabin to be my own your cabin repeated he many times no damn me tis my cabin your cabin damn me i have brought my hogs to a fair market i suppose indeed you think it your cabin and your ship by your commanding in it but i will command in it damn me i will show the world i am the commander and nobody but i did you think i sold you the command of my ship for that pitiful thirty pounds I wish I had not seen you, nor your thirty pounds, aboard of her. He then repeated the words thirty pounds often, with great disdain, and with a contempt which I own the sum did not seem to deserve in my eye, either in itself or on the present occasion, being indeed paid for the freight of blank weight of human flesh, which is above fifty per cent dearer than the freight of any other luggage whilst in reality it takes up less room in fact no room at all 
in truth the sum was paid for nothing more than for a liberty to six persons two of them servants to stay on board a ship while she sails from one port to another every shilling of which comes clear into the captain's pocket ignorant people may perhaps imagine especially when they are told that the captain is obliged to sustain them that their diet at least is worth something which may probably be now and then so far the case as to deduct a tenth part from the net profits on this account but it was otherwise at present for when i had contracted with the captain at a price which i by no means thought moderate i had some content in thinking i should have no more to pay for my voyage but i was whispered that it was expected the passengers should find themselves in several things such as tea wine and such like and particularly that gentlemen should stow of the latter a much larger quantity than they could use in order to leave the remainder as a present to the captain at the end of the voyage and it was expected likewise that gentlemen should put aboard some fresh stores and the more of such things were put aboard the welcomer they would be to the captain i was prevailed with by these hints to follow the advice proposed and accordingly besides tea and a large hamper of wine with several hams and tongues i caused a number of live chickens and sheep to be conveyed aboard in truth treble the quantity of provisions which would have supported the persons i took with me had the voyage continued three weeks as it was supposed with a bare possibility it might indeed it continued much longer but as this was occasioned by our being windbound in our own ports it was by no means of any ill consequence to the captain as the additional stores of fish fresh meat butter bread etc which i constantly laid in greatly exceeded the consumption and went some way in maintaining the ship's crew it is true i was not obliged to do this but it seemed to be expected for the captain did not think himself obliged to do it and i can truly say i soon ceased to expect it of him he had i confess on board a number of fowls and ducks sufficient for a west india voyage all of them as he often said very fine birds and of the largest breed this i believe was really the fact and i can add that they were all arrived at the full perfection of their size nor was there i am convinced any want of provisions of a more substantial kind such as dried beef pork and fish so to that the captain seemed ready to perform his contract and amply to provide for his passengers what i did then was not from necessity but perhaps from a less excusable motive and was by no means chargeable to the account of the captain but let the motive have been what it would the consequence was still the same and this was such that i am firmly persuaded the whole pitiful thirty pounds came pure and neat into the captain's pocket and not only so but attended with the value of ten pound more in sundries into the bargain i must confess myself therefore at a loss how the epithet pitiful came to be annexed to the above sum 
for not being a pitiful price for what it was given i cannot conceive it to be pitiful in itself nor do i believe it is thought by the greatest men in the kingdom none of whom would scruple to search for it in the dirtiest kennel where they had only a reasonable hope of success how therefore such a sum should acquire the idea of pitiful in the eyes of the master of a ship seems not easy to be accounted for since it appears more likely to produce in him ideas of a different kind some men perhaps are no more sincere in the contempt for it which they express than others in their contempt of money in general and i am the rather inclined to this persuasion as i have seldom heard of either who have refused or refunded this their despised object besides it is sometimes impossible to believe these professions as every action of the man's life is a contradiction to it who can believe a tradesman who says he would not tell his name for the profit he gets by the selling of such a parcel of goods when he hath told a thousand lies in order to get it pitiful indeed is often applied to an object not absolutely but comparatively with our expectations or with a greater object in which sense it is not easy to set any bounds to the use of the word thus a handful of halfpence daily appear pitiful to a porter and a handful of silver to a drawer the latter i am convinced at a polite tavern will not tell his name for he will not give you any answer under the price of gold and in this sense thirty pounds may be accounted pitiful by the lowest mechanic one difficulty only seems to occur and that is this how comes it that if the profits of the meanest arts are so considerable the professors of them are not richer than we generally see them one answer to this shall suffice men do not become rich by what they get but by what they keep hugh is worth no more than his annual wages or salary spends the whole he will be always a beggar let his income be what it will and so will be his family when he dies this we see daily to be the case of ecclesiastics who during their lives are extremely well provided for only because they desire to maintain the honour of the cloth by living like gentlemen which would perhaps be better maintained by living unlike them but to return from so long a digression to which the use of so improper an epithet gave occasion and to which the novelty of the subject allured i will make the reader amends by concisely telling him that the captain poured forth such a torrent of abuse that i very hastily and very foolishly resolved to quit the ship i gave immediate orders to summon ahoy to carry me that evening to dartmouth without considering any consequence those orders i gave in no very low voice so that those above stairs might possibly conceive there was more than one master in the cabin in the same tone i likewise threatened the captain with that which he afterwards said he feared more than any rock or quicksand nor can we wonder at this when we are told he had been twice obliged to bring to and cast anchor there before and had neither time escaped without the loss of almost his whole cargo 
the most distant sound of law thus frightened a man who had often i am convinced heard numbers of cannon roar around him with intrepidity nor did he sooner see the hoy approaching the vessel than he ran down again into the cabin and his rage being perfectly subsided he tumbled on his knees and a little too abjectly implored for mercy i did not suffer a brave man and an old man to remain a moment in this posture but i immediately forgave him and here that i may not be thought the sly trumpeter of my own praises i do utterly disclaim all praise on the occasion neither did the greatness of my mind dictate nor the force of my christianity exact this forgiveness to speak truth i forgave him from a motive which would make men much more forgiving if they were much wiser than they are because it was convenient for me to do so wednesday this morning the captain dressed himself in scarlet in order to pay a visit to a devonshire squire to whom a captain of a ship is a guest of no ordinary consequence as he is a stranger and a gentleman who hath seen a great deal of the world in foreign parts and knows all the news of the times the squire therefore was to send his boat for the captain but a most unfortunate accident happened for as the wind was extremely rough and against the hoy while this was endeavouring to avail itself of great seamanship in hauling up against the wind a sudden squall carried off sail and yard or at least so disabled them that they were no longer of any use and unable to reach the ship but the captain from the deck saw his hopes of venison disappointed and was forced either to stay on board his ship or to hoist forth his own longboat which he could not prevail with himself to think of though the smell of venison had had twenty times its attraction he did indeed love his ship as his wife and his boats as children and never willingly trusted the latter poor things to the dangers of the sea to say truth notwithstanding the strict rigour with which he preserved the dignity of his stations and the hasty impatience with which he resented any affront to his person or orders disobedience to which he could in no instance brook in any person on board he was one of the best-natured fellows alive he acted the part of a father to his sailors he expressed great tenderness for any of them when ill and never suffered any the least work of supererogation to go unrewarded by a glass of gin he even extended his humanity if i may so call it to animals and even his cats and kittens had large shares in his affections an instance of which we saw this evening when the cat which had shown it could not be drowned was found suffocated under a feather-bed in the cabin i will not endeavour to describe his lamentations with more prolixity than barely by saying they were grievous and seemed to have some mixture of the irish howl in them nay he carried his fondness even to inanimate objects 
of which we have above set down a pregnant example in his demonstration of love and tenderness towards his boats and ship he spoke of a ship which he had commanded formerly and which was long since no more which he had called the princess of brazil as a widower of a deceased wife this ship after having followed the honest business of carrying goods and passengers for hire many years did at last take to evil courses and turn privateer in which service to use his own words she received many dreadful wounds which he himself had felt as if they had been his own thursday as the wind did not yesterday discover any purpose of shifting and the water in my belly grew troublesome and rendered me short-breathed i began a second time to have apprehensions of wanting the assistance of a trocar when none was to be found i therefore concluded to be tapped again by way of precaution and accordingly i this morning summoned on board a surgeon from a neighbouring parish one whom the captain greatly recommended and who did indeed perform his office with much dexterity he was i believe likewise a man of great judgment and knowledge in the profession but of this i cannot speak with perfect certainty for when he was going to open on the dropsy at large and on the particular degree of the distemper under which i laboured i was obliged to stop him short for the wind was changed and the captain in the utmost hurry to depart and to desire him instead of his opinion to assist me with his execution i was now once more delivered from my burden which was not indeed so great as i had apprehended wanting two quarts of what was let out at the last operation while the surgeon was drawing away my water the sailors were drawing up the anchor both were finished at the same time we unfurled our sails and soon passed the berry head which forms the mouth of the bay we had not however sailed far when the wind which had though with a slow pace kept us company about six miles suddenly turned about and offered to conduct us back again a favour which though sorely against the grain we were obliged to accept nothing remarkable happened this day for as to the firm persuasion of the captain that he was under the spell of witchcraft i would not repeat it too often though indeed he repeated it an hundred times a day in truth he talked of nothing else and seemed not only to be satisfied in general of his being bewitched but actually to have fixed with good certainty on the person of the witch whom had he lived in the days of sir matthew hale he would have infallibly indicted and very possibly have hanged for the detestable sin of witchcraft but that law and the whole doctrine that supported it are now out of fashion and witches as a learned divine once chose to express himself are put down by act of parliament this which in the captain's opinion was no other than mrs francis of ryde who as he insinuated out of anger to me for not spending more money in her house than she could produce anything to exchange for or ally pretence to charge for had laid this spell on his ship 
though we were again got near our harbour by three in the afternoon yet it seemed to require a full hour or more before we could come to our former place of anchoring or berth as the captain called it on this occasion we exemplified one of the few advantages which the travellers by water have over the travellers by land what would the latter often give for the sight of one of those hospitable mansions where he is assured that there is good entertainment for man and horse and where both may consequently promise themselves to assuage that hunger which exercise is so sure to raise in a healthy constitution at their arrival at this mansion how much happier is the state of the horse than that of the master the former is immediately led to his repast such as it is and whatever it is he falls to it with appetite but the latter is in a much worse situation his hunger however violent is always in some degree delicate and his food must have some kind of ornament or as the more usual phrase is of dressing to recommend it now all dressing requires time and therefore though perhaps the sheep might be just killed before you came to the inn yet in cutting him up fetching the joint which the landlord by mistake said he had in the house from the butcher at two miles distance and afterwards warming it a little by the fire two hours at least must be consumed while hunger for want of better food preys all the time on the vitals of the man how different was the case with us we carried our provision our kitchen and our cook with us and we were at one and the same time travelling on our road and sitting down to a repast of fish with which the greatest table in london can scarce at any rate be supplied friday as we were disappointed of our wind and obliged to return back the preceding evening we resolved to extract all the good we could out of our misfortune and to add considerably to our fresh stores of meat and bread with which we were very indifferently provided when we hurried away yesterday by the captain's advice we likewise laid in some stores of butter which we salted and potted ourselves for our use at lisbon and we had great reason afterwards to thank him for his advice in the afternoon i persuaded my wife whom it was no easy matter for me to force from my side to take a walk on shore whither the gallant captain declared he was ready to attend her accordingly the ladies set out and left me to enjoy a sweet and a comfortable nap after the operation of the preceding day thus we enjoyed our separate pleasures full three hours when we met again and my wife gave the foregoing account of the gentleman whom i have before compared to axylus and his habitation to both which she had been introduced by the captain in the style of an old friend and acquaintance though this foundation of intimacy seemed to her to be no deeper laid than in an accidental dinner eaten many years before at this temple of hospitality when the captain lay wind-bound in the same bay saturday 
Early this morning the wind seemed inclined to change in our favour. Our alert captain snatched its very first motion, and got under sail with so very gentle a breeze that, as the tide was against him, he recommended to a fishing-boy to bring after him a vast salmon and some other provisions which lay ready for him on shore. Our anchor was up at six, and before nine in the morning we had doubled the berry-head, and were arrived off Dartmouth, having gone full three miles in as many hours, in direct opposition to the tide, which only befriended us out of our harbour, and though the wind was perhaps our friend, it was so very silent, and exerted itself so little in our favour that, like some cool partisans, it was difficult to say whether it was with us or against us. The captain, however, declared the former to be the case during the whole three hours, but at last he perceived his error, or rather perhaps this friend, which had hitherto wavered in choosing his side, became now more determined. The captain then suddenly tacked about, and, asserting that he was bewitched, submitted to return to the place from whence he came. Now, though I am as free from superstition as any man breathing, and never did believe in witches, notwithstanding all the excellent arguments of my Lord Chief Justice Hale in their favour, and long before they were put down by Act of Parliament, yet by what power a ship of burden should sail three miles against both wind and tide, I cannot conceive unless there was some supernatural interposition in the case. Nay, could we admit that the wind stood neuter, the difficulty would still remain, so that we must of necessity conclude that the ship was either bewinded or bewitched. The captain, perhaps, had another meaning. He imagined himself, I believe, bewitched, because the wind, instead of persevering in its change in his favour, for change it certainly did that morning should suddenly return to its favourite station and blow him back towards the bay but if this was his opinion he soon saw cause to alter for he had not measured half the way back when the wind again declared in his favour and so loudly that there was no possibility of being mistaken the orders for the second tack were given and obeyed with much more alacrity than those had been for the first we were all of us indeed in high spirits on the occasion though some of us a little regretted the good things we were likely to leave behind us by the fisherman's neglect i might give it a worse name for he faithfully promised to execute the commission which he had had abundant opportunity to do but nautica fides deserves as much to be proverbial as ever punica fides could formerly have done nay when we consider that the carthaginians came from the phoenicians who are supposed to have produced the first mariners we may probably see the true reason of the adage and it may open a field of very curious discoveries to the antiquarian we were however too eager to pursue our voyage to suffer anything we left behind us to interrupt our happiness which indeed many agreeable circumstances conspired to advance the weather was inexpressibly pleasant 
and we were all seated on the deck when our canvas began to swell with the wind we had likewise in our view above thirty other sail around us all in the same situation here an observation occurred to me which perhaps though extremely obvious did not offer itself to every individual in our little fleet when i perceived with what different success we proceeded under the influence of a superior power which while we lay almost idle ourselves pushed us forward on our intended voyage and compared this with the slow progress which we had made in the morning of ourselves and without any such assistance i could not help reflecting how often the greatest abilities lie wind-bound as it were in life or if they venture out and attempt to beat the seas they struggle in vain against wind and tide and if they have not sufficient prudence to put back are most probably cast away on the rocks and quicksands which are every day ready to devour them it was now our fortune to set out melioribus avibus the wind freshened so briskly in our poop that the shore appeared to move from us as fast as we did from the shore the captain declared he was sure of a wind meaning its continuance but he had disappointed us so often that he had lost all credit however he kept his word a little better now and we lost sight of our native land as joyfully at least as it is usual to regain it sunday the next morning the captain told me he thought himself thirty miles to the westward of plymouth and before evening declared that the lizard point which is the extremity of cornwall bore several leagues to leeward nothing remarkable passed this day except the captain's devotion who in his own phrase summoned all the hands to prayers which were read by a common sailor upon deck with more devout force and address than they are commonly read by a country curate and received with more decency and attention by the sailors than are usually preserved in city congregations i am indeed assured that if any such affected disregard of the solemn office in which they were engaged as i have seen practised by fine gentlemen and ladies expressing a kind of apprehension lest they should be suspected of being really in earnest in their devotion had been shown here they would have contracted the contempt of the whole audience to say the truth from what i observed in the behaviour of the sailors in this voyage and on comparing it with what i have formerly seen of them at sea and on shore i am convinced that on land there is nothing more idle and dissolute in their own element there are no persons near the level of their degree who live in the constant practice of half so many good qualities they are for much the greater part perfect masters of their business and always extremely alert and ready in executing it without any regard to fatigue or hazard the soldiers themselves are not better disciplined nor more obedient to orders than these whilst aboard 
they submit to every difficulty which attends their calling with cheerfulness and no less virtues and patience and fortitude are exercised by them every day of their lives all these good qualities however they always leave behind them on shipboard the sailor out of water is indeed as wretched an animal as the fish out of water for though the former hath in common with the amphibious animals the bare power of existing on the land yet if he be kept there any time he never fails to become a nuisance the ship having had a good deal of motion since she was last under sail our women returned to their sickness and i to my solitude having for twenty-four hours together scarce opened my lips to a single person this circumstance of being shut up within the circumference of a few yards with a score of human creatures with not one of whom it was possible to converse was perhaps so rare as scarce ever to have happened before nor could it ever happen to one who disliked it more than myself or to myself at a season when i wanted more food for my social disposition or could converse less wholesomely and happily with my own thoughts to this accident which fortune opened to me in the downs was owing the first serious thought which i have ever entertained of enrolling myself among the voyage writers some of the most amusing pages if indeed there be any which deserve that name were possibly the production of the most disagreeable hours which ever haunted the author monday at noon the captain took an observation by which it appeared that ushant bore some leagues northward of us and that we were just entering the bay of biscay we had advanced a very few miles in this bay before we were entirely becalmed we furled our sails as being of no use to us while we lay in this most disagreeable situation more detested by the sailors than the most violent tempest we were alarmed with the loss of a fine piece of salt beef which had been hung in the sea to freshen it this being it seems the strange property of salt water the thief was immediately suspected and presently afterwards taken by the sailors he was indeed no other than a huge shark who not knowing when he was well off swallowed another piece of beef together with a great iron crook on which it was hung and by which he was dragged into the ship i should scarce have mentioned the catching this shark though so exactly conformable to the rules and practice of voyage writing had it not been for a strange circumstance that attended it this was the recovery of the stolen beef out of the shark's maw where it lay unchewed and undigested and whence being conveyed into the pot the flesh and the thief that had stolen it joined together in furnishing variety to the ship's crew during this calm we likewise found the mast of a large vessel which the captain thought had lain at least three years in the sea it was stuck all over with a little shellfish or reptile called a barnacle and which probably are the prey of the rockfish as our captain calls it asserting that it is the finest fish in the world 
for which we are obliged to confide entirely to his taste for though he struck the fish with a kind of harping iron and wounded him i am convinced to death yet he could not possess himself of his body but the poor wretch escaped to linger out a few hours with probably great torments in the evening our wind returned and so briskly that we ran upwards of twenty leagues before the next day tuesday's observation which brought us to latitude forty seven degrees forty two minutes the captain promised us a very speedy passage through the bay but he deceived us or the wind deceived him for it so slackened at sunset that it scarce carried us a mile in an hour during the whole succeeding night wednesday a gale struck up a little after sunrising which carried us between three and four knots or miles an hour we were this day at noon about the middle of the bay of biscay when the wind once more deserted us and we were so entirely becalmed that we did not advance a mile in many hours my fresh-water reader will perhaps conceive no unpleasant idea from this calm but it affected us much more than a storm could have done for as the irascible passions of men are apt to swell with indignation long after the injury which first raised them is over so fared it with the sea it rose mountains high and lifted our poor ship up and down backwards and forwards with so violent an emotion that there was scarce a man of the ship better able to stand than myself every utensil in our cabin rolled up and down as we should have rolled ourselves had not our chairs been fast lashed to the floor in this situation with our tables likewise fastened by ropes the captain and myself took our meal with some difficulty and swallowed a little of our broth for we spilt much of the greater part the remainder of our dinner being an old lean tame duck roasted i regretted but little the loss of my teeth not being good enough to have chewed it our women who began to creep out of their holes in the morning retired again within the cabin to their beds and were no more heard of this day in which my whole comfort was to find by the captain's relation that the swelling was sometimes much worse he did indeed take this occasion to be more communicative than ever and informed me of such misadventures that had befallen him within forty-six years at sea as might frighten a very bold spirit from undertaking even the shortest voyage were these indeed but universally known our matrons of quality would possibly be deterred from venturing their tender offspring at sea by which means our navy would lose the honour of many a young commodore who at twenty-two is better versed in maritime affairs than real seamen are made by the experience at sixty and this may perhaps appear the more extraordinary as the education of both seems to be pretty much the same 
neither of them having had their courage tried by virgil's description of a storm in which inspired as he was i doubt whether our captain doth not exceed him in the evening the wind which continued in the northwest again freshened and that so briskly that cape finisterre appeared by this day's observation to bear a few miles to the southward we now indeed sailed or rather flew near ten knots an hour and the captain in redundancy of his good humour declared he would go to church at lisbon on sunday next for that he was sure of a wind and indeed we all firmly believed him but the event again contradicted him for we were again visited by a calm in the evening but here though our voyage was retarded we were entertained with a scene which as no one can behold without going to sea so no one can form an idea of anything equal to it on shore we were seated on the deck women and all in the serenest evening that can be imagined not a single cloud presented itself to our view and the sun himself was the only object which engrossed our whole attention he did indeed set with a majesty which is incapable of description with which while the horizon was yet blazing with glory our eyes were called off to the opposite part to survey the moon which was then at full and which in rising presented us with the second object that this world hath offered to our vision compared to these the pageantry of theatres or splendour of courts are sights almost below the regard of children we did not return from the deck till late in the evening the weather being inexpressibly pleasant and so warm that even my old distemper perceived the alteration of the climate there was indeed a swell but nothing comparable to what we had felt before and it affected us on the deck much less than in the cabin friday the calm continued till sunrising when the wind likewise arose but unluckily for us it came from the wrong quarter it was south-southeast which is that very wind which juno would have solicited of aeolus had naeus been in our latitude bound for lisbon the captain now put on his most melancholy aspect and resumed his former opinion that he was bewitched he declared with great solemnity that this was worse and worse for that a wind directly in his teeth was worse than no wind at all had we pursued the course which the wind persuaded us to take we had gone directly for newfoundland if we had not fallen in with ireland in our way two ways remained to avoid this one was to put into port of galicia the other to beat to the westward with as little sail as possible and this was our captain's election as for us poor passengers any port would have been welcome to us especially as not only our fresh provisions except a great number of old ducks and fowls but even our bread was come to an end and nothing but sea-biscuit remained which i could not chew so that now for the first time in my life i saw what it was to want a bit of bread 
the wind however was not so unkind as we had apprehended but having declined with the sun it changed at the approach of the moon and became again favourable to us though so gentle that the next day's observation carried us very little to the southward of cape finisterre this evening at six the wind which had been very quiet all day rose very high and continuing in our favour drove us at seven knots an hour this day we saw a sail the only one as i heard of we had seen in our whole passage through the bay i mention this on account of what appeared to me somewhat extraordinary though she was at such a distance that i could only perceive she was a ship the sailors discovered that she was a snow bound to a port in galicia sunday after prayers which our good captain read on the deck with an audible voice and with but one mistake of lion of elias in the second lesson for this day we found ourselves far advanced in forty-two degrees and the captain declared we should sup off porte we had not much wind this day but as this was directly in our favour we made it up with sail of which we crowded all we had we went only at the rate of four miles an hour but with so uneasy a motion continuing rolling from side to side that i suffered more than i had done in our whole voyage my bowels being almost twisted out of my belly however the day was very serene and bright and the captain who was in high spirits affirmed he had never passed a pleasanter at sea the wind continued so brisk that we ran upward of six knots an hour the whole night monday in the morning our captain concluded that he was got into latitude forty degrees and was very little short of the burlings as they are called in the charts we came up with them at five in the afternoon being the first land we had distinctly seen since we left devonshire they consist of abundance of little rocky islands a little distant from the shore three of them only showing themselves above the water here the portuguese maintain a kind of garrison if we may allow it that name it consists of malefactors who are banished hither for a term for diverse small offences policy which they may have copied from the egyptians as we may read in diodorus siculus these wise people to prevent the corruption of good manners by evil communication built a town on the red sea whither they transported a great number of their criminals having first set an indelible mark on them to prevent their returning and mixing with the sober part of their citizens these rocks lie about fifteen leagues northwest of cape roxent or as it is commonly called the rock of lisbon which we passed early the next morning the wind indeed would have carried us thither sooner but the captain was not in a hurry as he was to lose nothing by his delay tuesday this is a very high mountain situated on the northern side of the mouth of the river tejo which rising about madrid in spain and soon becoming navigable for small craft empties itself after a long course into the sea 
about four leagues below lisbon on the summit of the rock stands a hermitage which is now in the possession of an englishman who was formerly master of a vessel trading to lisbon and having changed his religion and his manners the latter of which at least were none of the best betook himself to this place in order to do penance for his sins he is now very old and hath inhabited this hermitage for a great number of years during which he hath received some countenance from the royal family and particularly from the present queen dowager whose piety refuses no trouble or expense by which she may make a proselyte being used to say that the saving one soul would repay all the endeavours of her life here we waited for the tide and had the pleasure of surveying the face of the country the soil of which at this season exactly resembles an old brick kiln or a field where the green sward is pared up and set a-burning or rather a-smoking in little heaps to manure the land this sight will perhaps of all others make an englishman proud of and pleased with his own country which in verdure excels i believe every other country another deficiency here is the want of large trees nothing above a shrub being here to be discovered in the circumference of many miles at this place we took a pilot on board who being the first portuguese we spoke to gave us an instance of that religious observance which is paid by all nations to their laws for whereas it is here a capital offence to assist any person in going on shore from a foreign vessel before it hath been examined and every person in it viewed by the magistrates of health as they are called this worthy pilot for a small reward rowed the portuguese priest to shore at this place beyond which he did not dare to advance and in venturing whither he had given sufficient testimony of love for his native country we did not enter the tejo till noon when after passing several old castles and other buildings which had greatly the aspect of ruins we came to the castle of belisle where we had a full prospect of lisbon and were indeed within three miles of it here we were saluted with a gun which was a signal to pass no further till we had complied with certain ceremonies which the laws of this country require to be observed by all ships which arrive in this port we were obliged then to cast anchor and expect the arrival of the officers of the customs without whose passport no ship must proceed further than this place here likewise we received a visit from one of those magistrates of health before mentioned he refused to come on board the ship till every person in her had been drawn up on deck and personally viewed by him this occasioned some delay on my part as it was not the work of a minute to lift me from the cabin to the deck the captain thought my particular case might have been excused from this ceremony and that it would be abundantly sufficient if the magistrate who was obliged afterwards to visit the cabin surveyed me there but this did not satisfy the magistrate's strict regard to his duty when he was told of my lameness he called out with a voice of authority let him be brought up 
and his orders were presently complied with he was indeed a person of great dignity as well as of the most exact fidelity in the discharge of his trust both of which are the more admirable as his salary is less than thirty pounds english per annum before a ship hath been visited by one of those magistrates no person can lawfully go on board her nor can any on board depart from her this i saw exemplified in a remarkable instance the young lad whom i have mentioned as one of our passengers was here met by his father who on the first news of the captain's arrival came from lisbon to belisle in a boat being eager to embrace a son whom he had not seen for many years but when he came alongside our ship neither did the father dare ascend nor the son descend as the magistrate of health had not yet been on board some of our readers will perhaps admire the great caution of this policy so nicely calculated for the preservation of this country from all pestilential distempers others will as probably regard it as too exact and formal to be constantly persisted in in seasons of the utmost safety as well as in times of danger i will not decide either way but will content myself with observing that i never yet saw or heard of a place where a traveller had so much trouble given him at his landing as here the only use of which as all such matters begin and end in form only is to put it into the power of low and mean fellows to be either rudely officious or grossly corrupt as they shall see occasion to prefer the gratification of their pride or of their avarice of this kind likewise is that power which is lodged with other officers here of taking away every grain of snuff and every leaf of tobacco brought hither from other countries though only for the temporary use of the person during his residence here this is executed with great insolence and as it is in the hands of the dregs of the people very scandalously for under the pretence of searching for tobacco and snuff they are sure to steal whatever they can find insomuch that when they came on board our sailors addressed us in the covent garden language pray gentlemen and ladies take care of your swords and watches indeed i never yet saw anything equal to the contempt and hatred which our honest tars every moment expressed for these portuguese officers at belisle lies buried catherine of aragon widow of prince arthur eldest son of our henry the seventh afterwards married to and divorced from henry the eighth close by the church where her remains are deposited in a large convent of geronimites one of the most beautiful piles of buildings in all portugal in the evening at twelve our ship having received previous visits from all the necessary parties took the advantage of the tide and having sailed up to lisbon cast anchor there in a calm and moonshiny night which made the passage incredibly pleasant to the women who remained three hours enjoying it whilst i was left to the cooler transports of enjoying their pleasures at second hand and yet cooler as they may be 
whoever is totally ignorant of such sensation is at the same time void of all ideas of friendship wednesday lisbon before which we now lay at anchor is said to be built on the same number of hills with old rome but these do not all appear to the water on the contrary one sees from thence one vast high hill and rock with buildings arising above one another and that in so steep and almost perpendicular a manner that they all seem to have but one foundation as the houses convents churches etc are large and all built with white stone they look very beautiful at a distance but as you approach nearer and find them to want every kind of ornament all idea of beauty vanishes at once while i was surveying the prospect of this city which bears so little resemblance to any other that i have seen a reflection occurred to me that if a man was suddenly to be removed from palmyra hither and should take a view of no other city in how glorious a light would the ancient architecture appear to him and what desolation and destruction of arts and sciences would he conclude had happened between the several eras of these cities i had now waited full three hours upon deck for the return of my man whom i had sent to bespeak a good dinner a thing which had been long unknown to me on shore and then to bring a lisbon chase with him to the seashore but it seems the impertinence of the provador was not yet brought to a conclusion at three o'clock when i was from emptiness rather faint than hungry my man returned and told me there was a new law lately made that no passenger should set his foot on shore without a special order from the provador and that he himself would have been sent to prison for disobeying it had he not been protected as the servant of the captain he informed me likewise that the captain had been very industrious to get this order but that it was then the provador's hour of sleep a time when no man except the king himself dost disturb him to avoid prolixity though in part of my narrative which may be more agreeable to my reader than it was to me the provador having at last finished his nap dispatched this absurd matter of form and gave me leave to come or rather to be carried on shore what it was that gave the first hint of this strange law is not easy to guess possibly in the infancy of their defection and before their government could be well established they were willing to guard against the bare possibility of surprise of the success of which bare possibility the trojan horse will remain forever on record as a great and memorable example now the portuguese have no walls to secure them and a vessel of two or three hundred tons will contain a much larger body of troops than could be concealed in that famous machine though virgil tells us somewhat hyperbolically i believe that it was as big as a mountain about seven in the evening i got into a chaise on shore and was driven through the nastiest city in the world though at the same time one of the most populous to a kind of coffee-house 
which is very pleasantly situated on the brow of a hill about a mile from the city and hath a very fine prospect of the river tejo from lisbon to the sea here we regaled ourselves with a good supper for which we were as well charged as if the bill had been made on the bath road between newbury and london and now we could joyfully say agresse ptata troes potiuntur arena therefore in the words of horace hie finis charteque vieque end of section five Recording by James Carson. End of Journal of a Voyage to Lisbon by Henry Fielding.